Here is a motion picture film. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Good afternoon. <laughs> Hello, it's Film Swap. <laughs> shall, we, shall we try that again? Sorry, I was just look, trying to find the origin of that that um, quote at the beginning uh, of uh, what's you know, about the rats. My, you're worse than my kids because you uh, you uh, like when you put a screen in front of you, you just can't help yourself. <laughs> Even when I you're am, on a podcast, I am like a. <laughs> seven-year-old given the screen basically well i think we're all as bad as each other nowadays with these things yeah, yeah. anyway all right let, let's try okay, that sorry. again and hello it's film swap david <laughs> sorry what do i say i can't even remember what i say good no <laughs> you keep have you just watched good morning vietnam or something <laughs> did i it's the yoga by brain slightly out of oh, is it? <laughs> Hello, it's Film Swap, and I'm Jonathan Pritchard Barrett, and here is my co-host, David. Hello, listeners, welcome, welcome. Tonight, uh, we've got a really interesting show. Uh, the theme of tonight's program is uh, Jonathan and I's asymmetrical prostates. No, actually, I'm only joking. <laughs> That's a, a reference to one of the films we'll be talking tonight. But the actual theme of the show is, in fact, bad reputations. And what that means is we wanted to talk about films that a lot of people in the kind of the public consciousness and public perception, pop, the popular consensus is that these are not very good films. But we wanted to each pick a film and say, no, no, actually, these are, are quite good films and worthwhile films. And so we wanted to uh, propose tonight that you take another look at them and see for yourself what you think. Yeah. So, Jonathan, what film did you pick for me tonight to watch? Well, well it's a daring choice. The film Ooh. I chose for you is... David Cronenberg's Cosmopolis. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> From 2012, and it stars Robert Pattinson. And right. I think it's rather good. But many, many, many people <laughs> beg to differ. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm glad you picked this one because I had not seen it. And I'm a huge David Cronenberg fan, being Canadian myself originally. And uh, David Cronenberg, I grew up with his films and he's uh he's he's made tons of really brilliant and interesting films but yep. this one kind of passed me by i kind of missed out on it when it came out for whatever reason uh and it's always been one of those ones i've always been uh, wanting to check out but i just haven't had a chance and i do know that it has a bit of a uh, you know, divide, there's opinions divided on it. So yes. I was very intrigued to finally get around to seeing it. Um, so that's, uh, that's great. Yeah. Cool. Um, what's, your, what's your choice then, David? Well, I picked uh, a film that is very famous, 
uh, or perhaps it might be more correct to say infamous, because it mm. is a film that is known uh, in history as as the film. It's one of the biggest box office bombs in the history of motion pictures. Wow. It is a film that uh, is uh, allegedly brought down a studio, being United Artists, destroyed several promising acting careers, including uh, Chris Christopherson's. Uh, and uh, so most people, by just from the information I've given you, have probably worked out that I'm talking about Michael Cimino's 1980 uh, film, Heaven's Gate. Wow. So that is the film that I picked tonight. I've heard about it, but I've never seen it. Yeah. Well, tonight we're going to talk about it. Terrific. Look but forward what to that. we have to do first is uh, I have about 14 white limousines waiting for me outside. And Jonathan <laughs> and I are going to go and climb in and uh, we're going to go across town, get our hair cut. And then we're going to go to the cinema and watch these films. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about it for our listeners out there. Uh, but listeners, for you, it's actually only going to be a few seconds. So if you just hang yeah. in right there, don't go away. Don't hold move. horses. Yes, <laughs> hold your horses. <laughs> and uh, we literally will be right back in just a second. So don't move. Thanks for listening to the Film Swap podcast. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Audible, and Google Podcasts, or any of your favourite podcast catchers. If you like this podcast, please consider giving the show a rating or leaving a review. This helps other listeners find the show. Great stuff. Here we are. We're back. Back We're out of our back. limousines, off our horses. Yes. Did back you remember to, to tip the drivers? It was your it was your turn this time, Jonathan. Oh. In Britain? <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> That's right, folks. Uh, the people who are outside of uh, the UK who are listening, you might not realise that they don't really do tipping in the UK. Horribly so, mean we are. <laughs> So anyway, well, those guys, uh, you know, they, they won't, uh, they won't come back to pick us up next time. <laughs> no, we're stranded now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, folks, uh, our first film tonight is called Cosmo. Uh, oh God, let me try that again. Cosmopolis. Yes. By David Cronenberg and uh, Jonathan. Yep. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why you picked this one? Well, I am a fan of David Cronenberg's films, the ones I've seen. And um, this one I chose because we needed a film that had a bad rep. And on um, uh, IMDb, which I think is a pretty good uh, sort of indicator of uh, film's quality, the film has a mere 5.1, which is really, really low. And that has gained, that is on a whopping 48,885 votes. <laughs> so that's okay, a resounding... Yeah. Uh, thumbs My down, goodness. basically. Is that the tomato? Did they use the tomato meter or is that somebody else? Well, the tomato meters, that's Rotten Tomatoes or Tomatoes. Oh, oh right, of course, mm. Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. Okay. Um, the Rotten Tomatoes, Tomatoes is 66%. Oh, 
All right. Which was, is more, more, um, you know, that's respectable. Respect. Yeah, but that's yeah. on 188 votes. So that's, I guess, that's probably more critics in there, maybe. Mm. But the people themselves have definitely said they don't like it, and <laughs> um, so. But I think the film has a lot of a lot going for it. Yeah, mm. it's flawed. That is true, but it's still got a lot going for it. So I thought, you know, let's stand up for this film. Great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you've done the right thing because uh, I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot to sink into. I mean, obviously, we, we don't want the, the, you know, we try and keep the show around the hour-ish mark. So yeah. we're not going to be able to get, like, too, too deep into the all of the, the stuff, but we can touch on some things. Yeah. So, um, so is that fair to say, then, in both our cases, it was a first-time watch? Or had you it, seen it, it was, yes. I must confess that I did some sort of searching for uh, films that have bad reps that are actually good. And this is the one that sort of appealed to me most, partly because, yeah, as I said, I like uh, Robin, Robert Pattinson. And okay. But the funny thing is, as I was watching it, first of all, it does take a little bit to get into it because it's very different to your sort of average film. It's highly stylized. Basically, the whole mm. give you a very uh, brief precy of the film. Robert Pattinson, or famous from the Twilight films, it's made in 2012, incidentally, the film. Robert Pattinson travels across New York. He's a um, bond trader or some sort of bigwig in uh, Wall Street. He's only 28, but he's a billionaire. And mm. he travels across um, Wall Street during sort of a visit from the president and some rioting. So I think it's basically a sort of Occupy Wall Street rioting type thing is what it's sort of based on, mm. because he wants to go and get his hair cut, even though his security people have said, don't do it because uh, there's somebody who wants out there who wants to kill you. And But he's insisting, rather than going to the nearby barbers, he wants to go to the one on the other side of town. And so he goes on this odyssey in this car. I mean, he does get out occasionally and sort of see people and get into various scrapes. And But it, it's, it's a very peculiar film, but very enjoyable. Once you've sort of shifted your mindset a little bit and you realise, OK, mm -hmm. we're not dealing with um, sort of, you know, standard Hollywood fare here, and um, we are dealing, in fact, we're dealing with a David Cronenberg film, but not even standard David Cronenberg, really. Yeah. I it's mean, it's true to say, I mean, a lot of his films are highly stylized, and this isn't the first film, like, if you think about things like Naked Lunch and Crash, which yeah. are not necessarily accessible on, on the kind of standard level. Yeah. Um, they take a little bit of work and a bit of climatizing to the vibe before you can really start to get in and appreciate it. And I yes. think very much this film is like that. It's got, like you say, it's highly stylized. Yeah. Even the dialogue, what struck me most was the, the, the way that people speak are, is not like a normal, Definitely. Uh, you know, it almost, they sometimes they're, it's like they're talking like they're uh, reading a, like a text or something. Yeah. Well, it's, it's true. It's high, highly sort of, uh, you know, the verbiage yeah. is very, very... Literary. Yeah, it's very literary, very off off kilter sometimes. Yeah. Very po kind of poetic. Yeah. It's not the way naturally that people speak. No. But it's incredibly interesting, and it, it, it left me constantly focusing on what they were saying. Yeah. Uh, it really draws you in on in that way. 
because you're kind of like trying to interpret this highly poetic uh, language that they're using. Yeah. And well, that's it's interesting that you mentioned Naked Lunch and Crash because both those novel, both those films are based on novels by William Burroughs and um, what's his name, J.G. Ballard. And this one is based, also based on a novel by the American author Don DeLillo, DeLillo who is one of the greats of American sort of post-war fiction, I suppose, or from, mm. from the, I think he started writing in the 70s. He was born in 1936, still alive in his 80s now. I think he had a, published a novel a couple of years ago. All right. Uh, and, um, but one of the interesting things about this is that at Christmas time, I subscribed to Netflix, and the big movie, or well, there was a, a few big movies that they sort of put out for the Christmas market, and one of them was this one called White Noise, which was basically based on its. Uh, it was based on um, Don DeLillo's big sort of crossover novel. That's the novel that sort of made his name. It was published in the eighties, and the film stars uh, Adam Driver, and it's uh, directed by Noah Baumbach. Uh, who mm. made uh, uh, Squid and the Whale, and um, it's a good, it's a really good film. But when, while I was watching the film, I was thinking, wait a second, this is meant to be Netflix's sort of main attraction <laughs> at Christmas. This is a very, very odd film indeed, and it, <laughs> I really didn't, I did enjoy it. But this film definitely has. I, so I got a feel for Don Diddler. I'd never read any of his books, but I've now seen two adaptations. So that sort of helps when I realised, oh, yeah, of course, Don DeLillo writes very, obviously writes very odd books. Well, it's and... quite interesting that you mentioned about uh, White Noise because on our, if listeners go back to our very, very first episode, uh, I do remember you uh, talking about that in our little short takes at the end, that that was a film that you mentioned as something you'd seen recently that you found quite intriguing and quite interesting. It so, is intriguing and interesting. Yeah. I would recommend that film. I'd recommend probably seeing that one before you see this one. Okay. Um, but, I mean, they're, they're both good, but, I mean, great films, and they're both about sort of societal breakdown. Because in White Noise, there's um, a, a toxic airborne event. So the whole town these people live in sort of flee in a sort of uh, a caravan of cars on all the freeways going out of the town. Right. And um, uh, the, the and in this one, they're sort of also stuck in cars for much of it. Yes. And uh, this time it's sort of societal breakdowns sort of mayhem in New York. Mm. Um, but they, they got similar sort of themes. The dialogues are, and even the funny thing is, even the lighting was quite similar because mm. there's sort of very uh, sort of lurid lighting, more sort of oranges yeah. and greens in white noise and this film had, and yeah yeah this film had a similar thing i, I don't know yeah. i mean obviously uh don delillo doesn't talk about sort of well i would imagine he doesn't talk about the lighting in the cinema, mm. but somehow that's how the directors sort of um adapt his words and interestingly um this is Cronen david cronenberg wrote the screenplay for this one Yes. And apparently it was his first screenplay since Existence in yeah. 1999. So it sort of uh, uh, came out 13 years before this great film starring Jude Law. Yeah. I'd recommend that Yeah, one. I like Existence. Um, and it's quite interesting because I read that uh, when I was kind of uh, preparing 
for our talk tonight that um, that uh, there was a screenplay already when David Cronenberg came on board, oh, right. and he just basically threw it away and wrote his own, <laughs> which I, I suppose you know because he is very much a kind of a singular yeah. author, isn't he? He has he is. his, definitely his own sort of um, you know kind of um, approach to material, uh, and I think this film very much uh, uh, is in keeping with a lot of thematically with a lot of his films in terms of people's relationship to technology and medicine and all yes. these things and about how that's kind of changed our, you know, human uh, evolution, if you will, and, and, yeah. and sort of um, our relationship to nature and everything as well. Yeah. So I think those kind of themes run through this as well, which, which I, I found really interesting as well. Definitely. And one of the things that sort of um, now, if it seems like the film's quite sort of prescient before its time, um, mm -hmm. because the Robert um, Pattinson character, when I was watching it, I was thinking, wait a second, because I just started watching a documentary on the BBC about Elon Musk, a three-parter. I thought, this mm. is Elon Musk. This sort <laughs> yes. of peculiar character. He's got a sort of, sort of unusual personality, you might yeah. say. And yes. like Musk does, really. I mean, he's a sort of... Oh, yes, just highly intelligent but and a bit sort of quirky because they obviously he sees the world in a completely, you know, a different way to exactly. others. And that's kind of a theme through the film is like his kind of uh, alienation in a sense, isn't it? Yeah. Because he's, he's in... A, a lot of it, as you said, takes place inside this very luxurious limousine that has yeah. a very inside very uh you know sort of futuristic kind of there's lots of screens and mm. lights uh and it looks very kind of buck rogery uh but he's kind of almost like kind of completely sealed off from what's going on around him outside yeah which i think is a really great theme about the you know about in terms of because he's an incredibly wealthy person and his 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 mind is completely sort of obsessed with, and a lot of the people who come on because throughout the journey, as the film progresses, these other people come on on board the limousine yeah. to talk to him. There, I guess they're his kind of his lackeys, his, yeah. you know, his employees that he's just summoned along the way and just said, sort of, we'll pick you up on the corner, <laughs> such and such, and they just sort of stop the car and open the door. And they have to hop on board, and then they have these very um, uh, fascinating conversations. Yeah. They're all kinds of different characters, but it's all around the sort of obsessing about technology and about how to control uh, financial markets and, and about uh, how things are going to develop into the future and how yeah. they can capitalize on that. Yeah. And everything revolves around how they can manipulate things in order to just accumulate more and more wealth. Yeah. Yeah. And it has quite a um, sort of star-studded, well, somewhat star-studded sort of cast, I suppose. Uh, it's got Paul, Paul Giamatti is in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Juliette Binoche is yeah. in it. So very then, briefly, but she's quite yeah. memorably in it. She's, she's quite an interesting character. Exactly. And um, Samantha Morton as well. She's yeah. his uh, chief of theory, which is a great sort of <laughs> touch job title. And yeah. um, then, uh, funnily enough, one of the, when I was watching it, I was, it reminded me of this film I saw around the time that this came out called uh, The Holy Motors, or Holy Motors. Mm. Uh, directed, it's a French film directed... 
um, by Matthew Almarik, I think. Hmm. And um, uh, and then, funnily enough, the uh, the director turns up of of Holy Motors um, turns up in uh, this film. Really? Uh, yeah, um, I yeah, he's. Uh, Think so, Matthew. Yeah, Matthew Al- Almerick. I'm sure he's in in that film. Um, and uh, but it was yeah, it was it's extraordinary uh, sort of. Uh, it really is funny. Yeah, some of the dialogue. I like this one. A world citizen with a New York pair of balls. This <laughs> 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 is uh, it's great. Mm. And so one of the things I was expecting because you know old um david Cronenberg is famous for his body horror mm. it's not all his horror but especially his body horror so, wait a second where's this it's just sort of uncharacteristically mm. sort of plas- not quite placid but sort of not the, the body horror is not in evidence and then suddenly yeah. <laughs> it erupts <laughs> there's a sort of there's, they're watching some news uh, report from Korea, and yeah. then uh, yeah, gosh, you go oh okay. So, well, there is really these like just little striking flashes of violence. I mean, yeah. it's not because it's not a strike. I mean, David Cronenberg is essentially known as a horror film director, he although is. not exclusively. He has done uh, things in other genres if you will yeah but this isn't really a horror film or at least i suppose in this I, I suppose you could say it's kind of slightly like a psychological horror film yeah but there's not there's only just there's these little brief flashes of violence yeah and there's even that he, he's always somehow disconnected from it which is quite an interesting um uh, you know, again, about this how his whole distance from all the things that are going around um he he seems to take a very sort of um you know unemotional view of everything that's going on it's all just completely analytical yeah or, or strategic in his yeah. thinking and he's um you know and it's something that you talk about robert uh, pattinson. pattinson he's he's someone i i mean i i must admit uh, cuz you mentioned you quite like him well, and i know I, he's been I, I, I didn't mention. I didn't say that. I just said he was in this film. I know that he's he's a popular actor. It was more. more he's a case. popular actor, and I, I think for me, because my only real experience of him up until the last few years ago was in those Twilight movies, right. mainly because one time uh, my my partner saw that there was a double feature playing of the first two Twilight films. And oh, okay. this is back when they were new and they were oh, it was yeah. a very big, successful franchise. Yeah. And so uh, we went to see them in the cinema and I oh, sat through these two films that, that <laughs> seemed very much, um, you know, and uh, no offense to any teenage girls out there, but the films did seem very much pitched at a kind of a teenage girl's audience (laughs) and uh and his performance in it was you know uh he was all he was very uh, pasty white because he was Mm. i think a vampire Mm. werewolf or something i can't remember something that effect and he uh you know and he spent a lot of the movie just kind of skulking around staring at the floor and things and he kind of mumbled a lot right and so he didn't really make it like a particularly 
great impression on me as an actor, no. I think would be a fair yeah. thing to say. I've got nothing against the man. Obviously, I don't know him, and I'm sure he's a lovely guy <laughs> and everything. Yeah. Um, but so, but he just uh, he didn't make a particularly great impression on me. Yeah, but yeah. then I've seen over the years, um, he's made a lot of interesting decisions in the kind he of has. films that he's chosen to do because he had that when the Twilight films were quite popular, yeah. he had that the option of trying to kind of pursue a, a, a big leading man sort of career and try and capitalize on that and yeah. go for another big hit uh, or something. But instead of like trying to get on fast and furious movies or whatever, I mean, maybe he did for all I know, I don't know, but um, he he's chosen instead to do a lot of smaller independent films. Yeah. Films like this that that have a little bit more of sort of artistic pretension, shall we say. Yeah. So that um and so I gotta take my hat off to him that he 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 didn't kinda he doesn't choose just the obvious stuff. He seems to pick interesting projects. He does. Um in some of them that I've that I've seen they they maybe aren't always particularly successful necessarily. And no. I'm again I would qualify that by saying just the ones I've seen, yeah. uh, but I got to take my hats off to him that I think he's a, he's a, a quite an adventurous uh, actor and, yeah. uh, and star, and um, he's definitely really well suited to this because I think he's very good in this, and yeah. he and he's quite well suited to that sort of emotionally distant, very analytical person who's who's always seems to want to keep uh, in control. Of everything yeah yeah uh, which is why that's yeah i mean i made a joke at the beginning about the asymmetrical uh, prostate <laughs> but that as the, the in this film there is uh he basically submits himself daily to a medical full physical examination by a doctor yeah every single day that's one of the the plot points in this film because he's uh, he's obsessed with i i don't Longevity. know i guess Yes, with longevity and making sure that he's not going to get sick or that yeah. anything gets spotted straight away. Yeah. And then there's a very, very funny moment where the where he's basically having a one of these highly uh, fascinating having a prostate examination. Basically, yes, he's having a prostate examination while he's also having a conversation with one of his lackeys who's on in the car, and they're talk they're having this highly. Uh, you know, I, I would I wouldn't necessarily say say intellectual because they're talking about finance and things, which I don't necessarily equate with intellectual uh, uh, things. Involved. But uh, but they Involved. they were having this intense conversation about all this financial business, and and while at the same time he's having his prostate examined, and then the doctor just sort of casually goes, "You're." You have a asymmetrical prostate. <laughs> and this seems concern for him for the rest yes, of the film. Yes, because it's like this thing, like all of a sudden there's something not right, something outside of his control that's sort of like, wait a minute, there's something wrong with my prostate. My prostate isn't normal. It's not. Is there something? What does he mean by that? And it becomes like this sort of uh, recurring sort of uh, subject that that gets peppered throughout the rest of the film. And I thought that was quite it was quite amusing and quite sort of interesting in terms of his character, yeah. the, the psychology of his character, because it's just one thing he's not in control of. Yeah, <laughs> is that, like it's like all of a sudden he gets these medical examinations every day, but actually today. There, there was something he the, the, the doctor found something abnormal yeah. and yeah. it's like <laughs> so 
So I thought that that was really interesting. That's true. I mean, the that was the one that examination chat was one bit where it sort of became a bit more Cronenbergian sort of body mm. horror type thing. So you sort of go <laughs> trying to yes. chat, but he's funny. And it becomes almost like it's like difficult. a sexual thing between him and the woman because it's a woman that he's talking to. Yeah. And uh, she's just, she was out jogging when she was summoned to come yes. in into the car and have, uh, you know, do a detailed report to him about something. Uh, yeah. And so she's all sweaty and wearing, you know, sort of just uh, tight jogging gear. And she's, you know, and then he, and well, meanwhile, he's naked and then there's a doctor giving him a prostate exam. Yeah. And so there, there's almost like it becomes this kind of sexual vibe to the conversation while, while he's, uh, you know, having the examination and she's kind of talking to him. Uh, and so that that's quite a funny moment. It's quite one of several quite kind of interesting, uh, uh, very amusing bits. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and then well, later on that becomes a sort of issue uh, because somebody says, um, "Yeah, your asymmetrical prostate is." Well, I don't know. He draws some sort of philosophical lesson from it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, but no, it's, uh, it's brilliant. Uh, it's 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 really it's really uh, yeah a sort of unusual film, but I would. Well, uh, what I did you make of the the rat motif? Because I wasn't sure how to interpret that, and I'd be sort of interested to hear your take on it. Well, that comes from a quote. The, the film starts with a quote yeah. from Zygniew. Uh, please excuse my uh, pronunciation. Uh, Zygniew Herbert, who's mm. a um, Polish poet and essayist, drama writer. Hmm. And um, so, yeah, he, I think the full quote is, if I can... Yeah, they find... have it at the very beginning in a little caption at the beginning. They do, yeah. But then and throughout it's... the film, there there is this uh, kind of running, uh, you know, uh, feature of, of that rats visually prominently come factor into the visuals quite often throughout yes. the film. I think it was stores are empty, uh, a rat became the unit of currency. Mm. So I suppose in Poland, you know, obviously Poland went through a lot in the 20th century, so that's sort of mm -hmm. pretty, I mean, probably factual almost, you know. Mm. Uh, but I guess here it's, it's a bit more metaphorical. And um, yes. I think it's sort of about capitalism and the whole sort of uh, enterprise that uh, this Don uh, Robert Pattinson's character is involved in. Yeah, and I guess I, I mean I guess I was thinking it was some kind of uh, reference to nature as well because obviously rats are very prominent in That's nature, true. and there's billions of them. Apparently, what's the the saying that you're never more than three feet away from a rat or something like, like that? that or you, yeah. I don't know. I can't remember what it is, but there's some saying about implying that they're literally everywhere, all around us. Uh, Yet uh, the, the this concept of them becoming a currency, <laughs> you know, yes. and that uh, you know I, I thought was quite uh, quite an interesting thing. Yes, that's true. They're, yeah. Um, and one uh, other thing I wanted to comment on was about the custard pie guy. That yes, that was the guy who actually I, I got it wrong. He wasn't in uh, the Holy Motors, but yes, the French okay. uh, French actor anyway. Yeah, but I thought that whole thing about the because the protests again, he's always quite isolated and cut off. And and throughout the film, he's in this this car, and they're driving through town, <clears throat> and there's all these kind of 
uh, riots and, and people uh, sort of smashing up windows. And, yeah. and uh, by the end of the film, the car that he's in, the limousine, has been all sort of painted and kind of destroyed on the outside by protesters and things. But he's yeah. still sort of in this cocoon inside, untouched by it. But I thought the scene with the custard pie was quite interesting because this man was so proud of his uh, of his uh, accomplishment uh, that all you need describes all these politicians all over the world that he's managed to to uh, custer up, as he says, throw yeah. custard pie out, and he spent time in jail and been tortured over this. But it's, but it's quite interesting about the the you know the effectiveness in protests and the difference in terms of because the wealthy, when they want to protect their interests, they they can resort to violence on a much more epic scale, you know, with with you know, war and and uh, you know fighter jets and and uh, all you know, CIA and all these kind of things. Yet uh, people, just regular people, all they have is a custard pie, yeah, <laughs> or or you know they're, they they they. They don't have that that same level uh, of to be able to fight for their interests. Yeah. Except uh, except uh, each other, really. Yeah. Well, um, he's the pastry assassin. Yes. <laughs> that's, his, yes. That's, his, that's his name. Yeah. Uh, his title. Um, and I think terrorism is one of uh, Don DeLillo's themes, mm. uh, which he addresses in a number of his books. And I, I liked also in the diner at one stage, and he's sort of terrorists come in dangling mm -hmm. rats by their tails and sort of <laughs> yes. flick them across just the flick uh, them around, yes. and then run off <laughs> yeah and everybody again like most of the, the people they just sit there and they might be temporarily disrupted or inconvenienced but they just shrug it off and go c continue consuming yeah <laughs> continue to you know uh, and he just looks on an in interest yeah, but there is a, through it too a strain of his of self destructiveness as well, which is quite interesting, isn't there? Because he talks about he's how he's by the end of the day he's going to lose billions and billions. Of yeah, he's lost everything. Dollars, think, pounds. Yeah, and and it sounds like it's kind of like deliberate. It was calculated on some level, hmm. or either the risk was. So whether it was intentional for him to actually lose it, or whether just the addiction to the risk. And the you know the constant you know need to to try and uh, top and and you know this this concept of uh, growth yeah. that that you hear very much always in in when you hear business reports on the news yeah. or you read about it and all the businesses are always there's this obsession with the, this concept right. of growth that yeah. there's always got to be more 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 yeah uh, you know but of course it's completely unsustainable and mm. sooner or later. Everything you know is, isn't going to carry on that way. It's not. No. It's not viable. Well, I have a little quote actually from uh, uh, Don DeLillo. When I was doing my research. There's, a, there's an essay he wrote called "In the Ruins of the Future," and he was writing about the sort of Occupy movement. He said they want to dis decelerate the global momentum that seemed to be driving unmindfully towards a landscape of consumer robots and social instability with the chance of self-determination diminishing for most people in most countries and to hold off the, uh, the, hold off the future, uh, and, uh, which is interesting. And at the same time, when that was going on, of course, 9-11 happened, and he said, whereas the 9-11 the, the terrorists, rather than wanting to hold off the future, they want to bring 
they want to bring back the past, <laughs> which is a sort of slightly different and much rather more sinister sort of mm. uh, aim. But uh, yeah, so there you go. That's yes. um, that's Don DeLillo mm. on on the matter. Oh well, that's interesting. Well, I must admit, I'm not. I was. I, I've I've not read this book or or any of his books actually. I mean, I'm familiar with the, with him by name. Yeah. I've never read any of his books, so I might. I'm intrigued enough that I might investigate that a bit further. Definitely, me too. I um, was thinking, I've got to go and read one of these books if he's one of the great <laughs> American writers. Yeah, I get on it. excellent. And and you know, David Cronenberg's one of the the great filmmakers, and and definitely. definitely I think, is it fair to say, uh, I mean, I really enjoyed this film. I, th I thought it was really, really interesting and, and entertaining in its way. I mean, it not, not in, a, in, you know, in a kind of Marvel superheroes kind of way, but <laughs> definitely, <much> not. <laughs> but, but definitely entertaining. Like it, there was a lot of, um, uh, a lot of food for thought, a lot of, uh, he, a lot of humor yeah. in, that I, in it, a lot of very funny bits and 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 um, really interesting ideas and and yeah. concept definitely uh, just tossed about uh, throughout yeah. the film. Yeah, and uh, and again, uh, Robert Pattinson he's very very good in this. Um, so I, I I take my hat off to him for, for that. Like he's he's excellent in this. Yeah, um, and as is everyone else who's in it, really. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it does take a bit of getting into once you sort of you have once you sort of adjust your, uh, you know, uh, mindset. But uh, yeah. it's, it's an enjoyable film, definitely. Brilliant. Well, I think <laughs> in the interest of time, I yep. think we might Let's have to, to cap it there and move on to the next film, which is is a pretty big uh, subject and a pretty big film oh in and of itself. Yep. So I think what we're going to do is we're maybe going to, you know, go and, uh, you know, towel off and sort of take a moment to, uh, uh, you know, uh, recalibrate ourselves yep. uh, and our prostates. And then we'll... <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then we're we're going to come back after just a very very brief, uh, from the listener's point of view, very brief break, yeah. uh, and then we're going to come back to talk about Michael Cimino's uh, Heaven's Gate. Yeah. So listeners, stay right where you are and keep your ears peeled. See you in so a we'll moment. Be right back. <laughs> You can follow the Film Swap on social media. We're on Twitter and TikTok at FilmSwap UK, on Instagram at FilmSwap Media, and on YouTube at FilmSwap underscore podcast, and at Facebook at FilmSwap the podcast. Hi there, we're back. And we're back. <laughs> right. So, Jonathan, we're, we're ready for our next film, uh, Michael Cimino's uh, 1980 epic western heaven's gate yeah um it's quite an interesting pairing of films this time isn't it like because of the subject matter we've ended up um we've got quite a quite a fascinating couple of films yep. but in a weird sort of way have some uh thematic undercurrents yep. i think that, that could tie them together in a way definitely Definitely. Well, yeah. they both have sort of nefarious business interests, you might say, yeah. um, but they also have French actresses in mm -hmm. both of them, which you don't get in every uh, American film. 
but um, this true. one both has French actresses, funnily enough. Well, that's an interesting. You're referring to Isabel Huppert, who's a, a, one of the great, uh, great, great actors, film actors of all time. Yeah. Absolutely amazing talent. Uh, but one of the uh, uh, big criticisms uh, at the time that this film was released was about a lot of people felt that she was woefully miscast mm. in this particular film. Yeah. I'm not sure I agree with that necessarily. Because I think, aside from the accent, I think she's wonderful in this. And, Terrific. And, um, um, you know, I think she, I've never seen her not be wonderful. She's just one of those people who just is uh, a, a, on a, just a whole other level in terms of, of talent um, uh, as, a, as a film actor. So um, anyway, shall I t talk a little bit about Heaven's Gate? I think this is one of these films that... Um, uh, is quite uh, infamous is the is is the word because at the time that it was released in 1980 it became and was considered the single biggest box office bomb uh, in in the history of, of film i think subsequently it's probably been dethroned yeah there's yeah, been several films, quite high profile things and again uh, a film that i would quite happily put forward if we ever did a bad reputations too, uh, in a future episode, I would put forward uh, Disney's uh, John Carter, which is a film that came out. Uh, I, I guess it's been a few years now, yeah. maybe about ten years ago. But that was a very high-profile, mega, big budget. Loads of production problems went way, way over budget. It was a big, huge thing, and then it yeah. was a huge financial disaster for disney yeah. and was a major bomb uh but i would hold up my hand and say that i quite really like john carter i really? think it's terrific really entertaining well, kind of old-fashioned entertaining okay. science fiction stuff, yeah. adventure film so yeah if you've not seen it you should definitely go and check it out um <clears> because <throat> i would i would stand by that right. but we're not talking about john carter tonight we're talking about heaven's gate uh, Michael Cimino, uh, the director, when he made this film, he was coming off quite a, a big success story. Yep. Um, previously, well, really, he started out his career as a writer. And amongst other things, he was involved in uh, uh, what, what's it called? Uh, Silent Running uh, was one of the films that he was a uh, screenwriter on. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, which is quite interesting. I didn't know that until I was reading up a bit about him today. Mm. Yeah, uh, uh, but uh, he got his first chance to direct a film uh, in uh, 1974. It came out. It was called Thunderbolt and Lightfoot with Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges, yeah. and it was it ended up being a huge, huge uh, box office success. And then off the back of that, he made another film, uh, a, a Vietnam War drama called The Deer Hunter, yeah, which that. then became a massive, huge, huge mega success uh and and won the oscar for best picture and there was all kinds of awards yeah. and i think it was at the time because this was just a few years after the end of the vietnam war and i think america was open to this concept of a big film about you know american soldiers as uh, victims mm. and i think it very much kind of hit the zeitgeist in america at the time and became a huge huge phenomenal success yeah so off the back of that uh he was given essentially more or less carte blanche to do whatever he wanted and he revived a project that apparently he'd uh 
first written a treatment for this film um, back in the late 60s. Oh, wow. But he could never get any uh, interest in it. Yeah. But then after The Deer Hunter and people, obviously, you know, when you're successful, when you've had a big success, and of course, uh, what, what's that thing that Werner Herzog said? Uh, he, he has this wonderful quote that I love when he says, you know, uh, when you're successful and you stick to your creative vision or whatever, then the money men come chasing after you like curs, you know, or something. I can't remember. I'm paraphrasing, but it's a, it's a wonderful little quote. But yeah. I think that's the thing. Uh, he basically got an opportunity to just do basically whatever he wanted. Right. And this is still in the kind of the new Hollywood era when when a lot of projects were sort of being director driven yeah and, new uh, hollywood. and yeah new hollywood but it's also around the time that, that the cracks were beginning to show because we had a lot of huge sort of really talented big uh, successful directors that were th being given the opportunity to just do whatever they wanted uh and uh, so then you had some quite high profile films that were unsuccessful like uh, william friedkin's sorcerer which is a, another really brilliant film, yeah. uh, remake of Wages of Fear, uh, and a few others like uh, Peter Bogdanovich had one. Uh, what was it called? Was it What's Up, Doc? Or am I thinking of something else? But he made a, a big picture and yeah. just totally stiffed. Uh, and so there was a lot of this going on at the time. Yeah. So perhaps it was partly that that this atmosphere that this film was created in that I think the studios and the public and everyone else was getting a little bit wary of these big huge ego uh, ego driven projects yeah apocalypse so, now classic yeah apocalypse now yeah um yeah brilliant film um but so heaven's gate uh, was made it was a it's a huge sprawling western mm. um at its heart it's basically a fictionalized account of what's called the johnson county wars yep. which was basically a conflict between uh immigrant settlers in wyoming is it and wyoming i think yeah, yeah and uh and uh, the cattle barons the kind of big landowners who basically yeah. were unhappy. They wanted to keep the land free for grazing cattle and yeah. things. So they, the, the this uh, became violent. Uh, and the story is, is that basically these, uh, what, what are they, what, what they called themselves, uh, Stock Growers Association, sorry, is what they were called. Uh, yeah. And they basically hired uh, a bunch of uh, thugs, hired hands to come and basically uh, they created a hit list of, of people that they wanted assassinated, basically. And they had this small private army uh, come in. Uh, apparently, the film alleges anyway, at the, at the uh, um, in principle, it was uh, approved by, by the, the um, federal government and the, and the, and the state government yeah. uh, to, for them to come in and, uh, enforce law and order as they saw it mm. uh, on, on these uh, settlers so what then happened is obviously it just erupted into violence and yeah. this, this film is a is a fairly highly i think um fictionalized account yes. of that uh and it's to do with uh, the chris christopherson plays uh a, a i guess a wealthy he comes from a wealthy family and he, he comes from Harvard University and there's this wonderful opening sequence 
where he's a young man and his friend John Hurt, played by John Hurt, are are graduating from Harvard, and yeah. there's all the pomp and circumstance of their graduation and all the celebrations of that, which make up a big, uh, huge chunk of the opening of the film. Uh, but then the film kind of skips ahead forward about 20 years yep. and, and it, uh, Chris Christopherson is now this kind of more world weary, uh, cynical uh, marshal. And mm. I guess he's been sent to uh, his old stomping grounds to sort of uh, be the new marshal there. It, it, I, I, it doesn't make sense why he's there, does it? I mean, it doesn't really make clear was he already the marshal or is he uh was he newly assigned to be the marshal it oh, isn't really clear. definitely he seems like he had been away for a while and he's returned after some yeah. sort of a break from being in this uh in this neck of the woods and he's the marshal so just to clarify i mean this film I think it's a really great film in many, many ways, but I do also fully admit that there are flaws to it as well. Do you of think course. that's fair to say? Because I think the film, in terms of a spectacle and in terms of photography and uh, sheer uh, ambition, in terms of the, the set pieces and the mm. design and the these huge uh, vistas and, and uh, delights for the eye and yeah. ear that you have throughout the film. Uh, the story, there's not a lot to the story, is there? It's fairly straightforward. Yeah. He comes to town. He's like, he sees that there's this thing going on and then he sides with the local people, you yeah. know, who are trying to establish themselves and build a community. And then these cattle barons, come to uh, aggressively um, uh, impose their own will on these people and he yep. takes their side and it all builds up to a um, quite a catastrophic uh, and tragic ending. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we try and avoid spoilers here. So for people who want to watch the film, we don't want to give too much about what happens. No. Um, so on that, uh, Jonathan, what did what do you think of the film? I mean, we could talk a little bit about the production history. I think yeah. it's pretty well documented about all the, the there was a lot of production problems, uh, and Michael Cimino was very exacting and demanding. He, he clearly had a, a very a particular vision about what he wanted to achieve. Yes, and some of the stories are legendary. You know, yeah. the stories about him making them stand around waiting for hours until just the right cloud formation yes. came in the sky yeah. and, and all sorts of things mm -hmm. about tearing down massively expensive million dollar sets and rebuilding them because they were a fraction of an inch in the wrong spot yeah, and things that like too, that, yeah. just like completely sort of over the top. Yeah. You know, they built these massive irrigation systems just so that the grass would be just the right shade oh, really? of green. You know, yeah, there's all these huge stories about it, uh, about um, this his kind of maniacal obsession for detail. Yeah. Apparently, he was a little bit, he was someone who didn't necessarily 
he had the kind of personality he didn't necessarily ingratiate himself to people shall we put right. it that way so i think there was a lot of things like that my yeah. favorite uh, quote from him that i remember reading somewhere is that yeah. apparently there was one day when they, he wanted to work to get something done and all of his crew were complaining because they wanted to go to lunch oh, okay. and after this huge fierce sort of arguments and battles then yeah. finally he let the crew the the uh, the crew go and have their lunch yeah. and then he said to his dp or somebody um you know don't they understand that tomorrow two days from now none of them will remember what they had for lunch but this film is forever <laughs> you know and it's something like this and that's clearly about what his mindset was right and he yeah. may have had a point <laughs> to be fair that you know can you remember what you had for lunch yesterday that's true it's not so much about what i had for lunch is that more than that that i had lunch and, <laughs> and you know, you i don't want to eat. sort of yeah <laughs> i mean if you're not going to feed your crew you're probably not going to make a film yes <laughs> it is very important it is food but apparently many of these yeah. stories are in the great book uh easy riders and raging bulls yeah, it's yes. all about the new Hollywood and sort of takes you from the beginning with Bonnie and Clyde to the end with this raging bull. Yes, and, yes, uh, they were kind of the, the last two sort of hurrahs of the kind of the new Hollywood kind of movement. Yeah. Um, and there's a great book that I have on my shelf up here somewhere. It's called The Final Cut. Oh, yeah. And sorry, I'll, I'll see if I can find out the author. I can't remember his name. Stephen Bach, I think. Oh, yeah. And he uh, he wrote quite a detailed account of the uh, making of this film, the making and the undoing of this film. Because uh, uh, I'm looking at and, a quote from him now. Yeah, the... well, I, I actually meant if I'd had more time, unfortunately, you know, there's only so many hours in the day, but yeah. I would have loved to go back and revisit that book. So I would have had some more interesting anecdotes or yeah. something to talk about this film. Okay. But well, I well... guess... Sorry, go ahead. Well, you, you sort of asked me what I thought of it. And the first yes. thing was that came to mind is that it is very long. <laughs> Three hours and 40 <laughs> minutes long. It and is. it's one of those films, because this quote that I have in front of me, it says, this is from Stephen Buck. He says, Heaven's Gate was to be the proud centerpiece of the new administration as a studio administration's slate of pictures. Mm. Um, and it was going to be, ah, Lawrence of Arabia, ah, Dr. Zhivago, set in the American West. And the funny thing is, like uh, those are both great films, especially Dr. Zhivago in the middle of it, I remember watching it, and you've got mm. this intermission. It just stops and it yes. says intermission and they play music. And this is one of those films. It's so long. It does indeed have an intermission. Well, depending on which version, because that's another interesting uh, thing. There's actually several versions of this film in okay. circulation. Right. So the one that you, uh, I'm assuming you watched it on streaming. I you watch it on Prime, yes. Yeah. Um, the version that's on Prime is the original uh, theatrical version of the film that, that made its premiere when the film was released in 1980. Okay. It only played for a couple of weeks or something in a couple of cities or maybe just one city in New York or Los Angeles. Right. And then the studio pulled it yeah. because of, there was so much of a negative reaction. There was so much vitriol being thrown at the film that yeah. it was they basically withdrew it right and then uh uh basically re-edited the film with chimino's involvement it should be stressed okay. but then it was released widely about sort of four months later 
Yeah. Um, in a in in a cut that was about an hour shorter than the version that you watched okay. on Prime. So that shorter version now nowadays it's very difficult to see it i actually have a dvd a french dvd of the shorter wide release version Hmm. um that and actually uh the last time the next to last time i watched this film yeah uh was i watched that version because i think i just picked up the dvd secondhand or something because i thought it'd be interesting just to have that shorter cut of the film because i don't think i've ever seen it so i was just out of more out of idle curiosity and because i'm a fan of the film i wanted to check it out so i got this dvd and i watched it and actually it isn't that bad there's a lot of talk when you read about it that they say they cut it to ribbons and it's incoherent but actually it does really play just more like a condensed version of, of the film all the key plot points are there they okay. just kind of, you know, sort of cut down a lot of the, you know, even a lot of the scenes are in, are, are still there, but they've just drastically sort of okay. reduced them down. Right. So I don't think it, it's actually that bad. It still plays pretty good. Okay. Um, but there's that version that's kind of out there, but I think it's a little bit harder to come by nowadays. I'm, yeah. I don't know if that DVD is still in print. Right. But like okay. I said, because I got I picked up a secondhand copy, I think, for yeah. a few quid, just out of curiosity. There's also, if you buy a Blu-ray from, in the UK, it's available from Second Sight Films, and in America, it's available from Criterion. That version is a director-approved version that Chimino right. oversaw just a couple of years before he passed away, Right, which he... It's nearly the same length as the, that long original version, right. but I think it's it's shorter by just a few minutes. He made really? a few minor cuts, and he cut out the intermission as well, so uh, that okay. the film runs about sort of maybe four, three or four or five minutes shorter than the version that you watched. Uh, okay. So, but I think it's more or less fairly close to the right. to, to the same. Right. Uh, um, okay. So, and I do believe there's another, like he did in about 2012, there was something in circulation called the director's cut. Oh yeah. But I don't know what the what the difference between that one is and the the other versions right. that are out there. So, so there is a, a several versions of the film that are out in circulation. Yeah, that, that's just an interesting sort of point about mm, that. That is interesting. Yeah, well, I yeah. yeah, I mean, I'd heard of it. I well, I knew that it was a one of the monumental flops, mm. and um, that it you know United Artists, the film studio started by Charlie Chaplin and Mary Pickford, mm. this great institution, yeah. was sort of brought down by the film, which is quite sad. Um, yeah. but uh, yeah, I I was sort of slightly wondering. Did the critics just, I mean, it's almost, well, it was unfair. I think their criticism was unfair. This is a, this well, is a really think, good film. I mean, maybe I mean, it's not it perfect, is, but it's good. It isn't great film, but it's great. There is greatness there. I think it is flawed, as I mentioned, and I think more of that's to do with the, um, the, the kind of the writing and the story because despite its big sprawling length, yeah. I don't think that, I don't think the story there isn't a lot to it. And I also think, uh, I mean, 
a lot of the characters are a little bit underdeveloped. And I'm thinking specifically maybe about Jeff Bridges' character. Um, John Hurt uh, is is much better defined as uh, as a character. And as I mentioned, it's never really explained about Chris Christophers and how, how he became, not that you necessarily need lots of explanation about things, yeah. but, but there is a lot, there is some weaknesses I think in it, okay, yeah. but I think they are more than compensated by the fact that the film just visually, uh, and just in terms of the sheer ambition of some of the set pieces, it's just absolutely incredible. The film absolutely is just incredible. absolutely ravishing to look at. Really is. Every single shot is just gorgeous. And yeah. it's got that lovely, uh, I mean, it's in color. It's a color film, but it has this incredible kind of almost sepia tinge to the to the color. The, and it really feels like that mm. dusty old west. Yeah. And it's got this lovely kind of brownish green sort of, hues to it mm. and a very diffuse lighting and it's just beautiful every single image in it yep. is absolutely stunning yeah like even they'll just have this long lovely shot of somebody uh, in a carriage going down the thing but the background will be these incredible cloud formations yep. and the hills in the background then a bit of sunlight and you can see the just such incredible attention to detail yeah and so beautiful every single frame mm. that that it's just in terms of just the sheer filmmaking side of it the film yeah. is just jaw dropping yeah and incredible <laughs> yeah well I uh, yeah, I would say the John Hurt character. I didn't really understand what he was doing. That is an English bloke. He's <laughs> yes. just sort of being quite sort of annoying, really. And but there is a, another funny story about him. Apparently, because he was so much hanging around whilst nothing happened, he flew back to England, filmed uh, The Elephant Man with David Lynch, and came back, and they were still basically hanging around, <laughs> waiting for something yes, to happen. there was apparently a lot of hanging around on set, and there was a lot of musicians who were in the cast. Yeah. And apparently they just spent hours and hours having these amazing jam sessions and things because because they were just basically sitting around waiting for these clouds to come into view or <laughs> while they were setting up this very exacting lighting. And, right. you know, um, so, yeah, there's amazing. But, I mean, John Hurt's character is interesting because he's Chris Christopherson's boyhood friend. They went to Harvard <laughs> together. Yeah. They're friends. And, obviously, they're both wealthy. They come from wealthy backgrounds. But John Hurt has fallen in with these cattle barons, and he's yeah. part of this this group. But yeah. he obviously, uh, in his in his heart, he objects to what's yeah. happening. But he but he's a bit of a drunkard, and yeah. he doesn't have the kind of moral courage to really stand up to to them and what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and you can see he's quite troubled uh, by it, and it's almost like he's kind of caught up in this self self loathing as he kind of stands around as this ineffectual bystander yeah. while all, all of his rich mates do these horrible things yeah. and are kind of destroying the community. And he, he'll, he'll speak up, but it's always in these kind of sarcastic, you know, he makes little sarcastic comments and little asides, but he doesn't really have the moral courage to kind of stand up and yeah, say no and do something to stop it. Yeah. And I think that's why his character is a bit kind of interesting. Yeah. And of course, John Hurt, he could probably 
to take the back of a cereal box and make it interesting because he's such an amazing, yeah. talented actor. Yeah. Well, you've got these um, extraordinary characters, you know, extraordinary acting talent. Yeah, and, absolutely and amazing. Christopherson um, and yeah. Yeah. And I mean, th this film's interesting because apparently at the time, Chris Christopherson was considered one of the biggest box office draws in America. He'd yeah. come off a string of really big hits, including what's the one that uh, A Star is Born with yeah. Barbara Streisand. And he was in uh, um, Convoy and a couple of other really big sort of uh, hit films. Yeah. Uh, and he was riding high uh, uh, with his career at the time. And then he did this film. And apparently after that, he couldn't get work as an actor for many years. Really I mean, occasionally bizarre. now, as, as he's gotten older, he's started cropping up again in smaller character parts. And yeah. he featured quite prominently in the Blade films, didn't he, as kind of his, his uh, sidekick. But, uh, but his career as a big leading man star was derailed by this film. Right. So, <laughs> so, so odd. But apparently, well, yeah, that, uh, basically he's in this sort of love triangle with um, old Christopher uh, Walken, Christopher Walken, and um, Isabel Hubert. Yeah. Um, but I think that works pretty pretty well. Uh, yeah, uh, and it's quite central to the story. That is that little love triangle between yeah. them, and yeah. that's where the kind of the character arcs come. Certainly with Christopher Walken's character, because yeah. through at, at the beginning of the film he's although he comes from sort of the same background as a lot of these local immigrants that are being picked on and terrorized and things. And he's a party to that. He's sort of a paid enforcer for mm. some of these cattle barons. And he goes out and basically kills people who they accuse of stealing cattle and things. Yeah. But, but he clearly through the course of the film has a change of heart and and there's a character arc there that's that's quite pivotal, I think, to the mm. to the story. Well, two things I really want to mention are the mm. dances. There's these two dances. Yeah. One at the beginning. Incidentally, the bit in Harvard. Apparently, Harvard wouldn't let them film there, so they had to film that bit in Oxford. Yes. Um, and they moved a tree. There's a famous story that there was a particular tree that he wanted. Yeah. So they so they actually dismantled it, shipped it over to England. Put yeah. it back together so that they could use it to film the sequence. So it's yeah. stories like that that are quite like, you know, extraordinary. Extraordinary. But um, mm -hmm. they there's this film there's this bit where they're sort of waltzing around this tree in the sort of quad or the um, mm -hmm. courtyard, and uh, it's just beautiful, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then later yeah, on, the dancing and the the sequence with the dancers like they're, they're these huge. Yeah. You know, they're out on the lawn all dancing and, and you know, it's just these sumptuous sort of images that are yeah. just so incredible. Really beautiful, really beautiful. And then the the second dance, which is equally fantastic, um, or maybe more fantastic, but just really good anyway, it's this roller skating barn dance. Yeah. Um, and that's where the net film gets its name from. So Heaven's Gate is the name of this road, basically it's a roller disco, essentially, mm -hmm. um, except mm -hmm. rather than sort of disco, it's sort of uh, bluegrass they're playing, I suppose. And, yeah, uh, and it's where the community comes together. I mean, these are all poor people. They're farmers, yeah. just local merchants. They, they don't have a lot of... Uh, um, wealth uh, but they all come together and hang out and jeff bridges is the proprietor of this 
establishment. Yes. And and it's kind of where the community comes together. And they have these beautiful moments, uh, which a lot of the criticism centered around these big, long, huge, sprawling um, scenes of, of people just dancing and partying and stuff. And that was one of the criticisms. But actually, it's one of the key things of the film that just makes it so wonderful because they're so atmospheric and so joyful and so incredible in terms of the design of the Mm. Uh, of of the the places and the and all the 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 filming and the lighting yeah. and everything just looked so amazing that you can just sit there and just get totally absorbed in yeah. these scenes that they, they do go on quite a while but you never are conscious of that you're never sitting there i mean obviously some reviewers were but, yeah, I, but I, um, I was completely happy with that and yeah. I love the music as well. I like that yeah. sort of music, which so that wasn't a problem for me. In fact, I would have had been happy if they'd gone back there, back back to Heaven's Gate and done another dance. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that comes a key focal point in the community where everyone gets together. Because even in, at various stages in, in the story, the the community comes together to talk about what's going on, yeah. or to or to get organized. And it's yeah. always in Heaven's Gate. This is like a central part where they all come yeah. together. Uh, and it's all people from different. They've obviously come from different countries and immigrated to, to America. And then they've come together in this community. But yeah. then they're they're all threatened by these external forces. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and it's amazing. As I said, without spoiling it for someone who's going to go and watch the film, it does uh, escalate into, into this. Johnson um, County War, basically. Yes, uh, into conflict, uh, and th and then the end part of the film, the, these huge battle scenes are just extraordinary. Yeah. That, that bit, uh, just watching it again um, uh, earlier today, as I was getting prepared for the show, that that stuff with the when they first all charge in quite unstrategically, not very <laughs> cleverly. They all come didn't, piling in didn't to, make sense to, to me. To me. Yeah, it was it was probably not a good move. They were very disorganized. Yeah. But there's this incredible thing where they're all circling around uh, with their wagons circling the, the baddies hmm. and, and kind of going around and with all the dust and the, the light uh, from the sun that's just kind of setting and they're all sort of circling around this thing and it's just such an extraordinary scene. Uh, apparently incredibly dangerous. There was all sorts of accusations of animal cruelty on the set of this film oh, okay. and a lot of sort of accidents and things that went on. Oh, but right. you can all see it on screen, like just, just incredible visual Mm. You know, Marvel looking at these incredible scenes mm. at Definitely the end. CGI. No, oh, there's no CGI <laughs> here at all. It's all real people, sometimes hundreds of them. And the chore it must have taken hours to choreograph that and plan it and get it just right. Every yeah. image is just so extraordinary. Yeah. That, um, and it, uh, you know, it, it's quite an amazing film. And, uh, um, I think at the time, a lot of the negative reaction to it must have just been, you know, because a lot of times in the media, you can see there's like a real kind of a herd mentality, isn't there? I mean, you can even yeah. see it today in kind of social media and stuff, but there's very much everyone kind of jumps on the bandwagon when they want to, you know, yeah. uh, get at something. And I think this film had a bad reputation before it even came out yeah. because it was all the, the, the talk of all the production problems and mm. all the stuff that was going on. And I think too, because the film takes a much is a bit more critical 
about American, uh, I don't know, how should we say, commerce and, yeah. uh, you know, politics and things yeah. rather, but more, more so than the deer hunter. I think there might have been a little bit of a negative reaction to that as well about some of the subtext of the film. Hmm. Maybe from a, from a mainstream media point of view, maybe wasn't so welcome. So I think that might have had something to do with why yeah, everyone yeah. jumped on on um, on trashing it a little bit as well. Yeah. Well, apparently there are some other films based on the uh, Johnson County War, sort of classic mm. westerns. Uh, I think um, the Virginian and mm. uh, Shane are both uh, based on the Johnson mm. County War. And I don't know if they yeah. were yeah. criticised, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I I thought it was you know really really enjoyable. Um, yeah, long. Uh, I had to watch it over two nights because it was sort of just mm. so lengthy. Um, but uh, and some of the dialogue was great as well, or not great. It was you know it was enjoyable, it was sort of quotable, and um, <clears throat> but also the film was not afraid of bits where there was no dialogue. They were just sort mm. of doing stuff, or not even doing stuff. It was just sort of bit of silence which um, yeah. I guess is a mark of a film I'm gonna probably enjoy yeah definitely I mean and there is there's sometimes there there's so much of it just is about the just really incredible images and he he was not afraid to to let that play out hmm. so you do have these long lovely shots uh, uh scenic shots of of people just in the foreground or in the background yeah. And just letting things happen. And that bit at the beginning, too, the, the town, you know, when he first gets to town and he gets off the train and he meets an old friend of his who's like working as a sort of concierge or something in the yeah. station in master. The, in the, the station master. Yeah, sorry. And, uh, um, you know, they're talking out in the street and there's so much noise and bustle and just these incredible buildings. And there's literally just like hundreds and hundreds of people all around and stuff going on in the background. Yeah. And it's just incredible, just that coordinating all that, just from a filmmaking point of view. Yeah, the buildings, which presume, yeah, which he presumably got built because I, yes. I, don't know, I would imagine they're not there anymore. I mean, they sort of no, look no. like genuine, large Victorian yeah. buildings. And but that that's actually, actually another thing that I did wonder if that didn't contribute to its sort of problems at the box office. Was sometimes mm. I found the sound a bit difficult to hear dialogue. Yeah, some of the, the mix. And yeah. I don't know if that was deliberate or not, but there are times when, and specifically in that scene, where the two of them are talking, and it is difficult to hear them because there's so much noise yeah. from the extraneous around them going on that, that yeah. it becomes a bit difficult to make out what they're saying. Yeah. But I guess it probably would have been like that, and certainly there was so much going on that it must have been totally impossible to... Yeah. get a good clear recording of that anyway yeah. but what's interesting is that they didn't choose to post sync that to yes. improve that they left it as it was yes so so on some level that must have been conscious decision must because be. i'm quite sure when they were you know mixing the film they must have said oh this doesn't sound that great but there was a conscious decision to leave that as it was. Yeah. I guess maybe just because it was, because that I guess is what it would have been like standing. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of standing on a street corner or in a 
pub or something where they've got loud music and loads of people talking. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, certainly, as I get older, my maybe my hearing's not quite as good. I sometimes find it difficult to communicate effectively in noisy environments. Yeah, and so that's kind of what that scene is like as well. Yeah. That they're out in the middle of the street with hundreds mm. and hundreds of people uh, around them and loads of noise and stuff. And so maybe it was just a creative decision to just say, well, that's what it would have been like, so leave it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Jonathan, uh, I, I think, um, what's the final verdict then? What would you say to someone who says, oh, Heaven's Gate, I heard that's 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 a bit crappy, that film. What well, would if you you've say got a sort of long, after a wet afternoon when you can't really do much else, <laughs> I'd say get it on. It's, uh, yeah. I, I really well, sorry, you it. mean get the film on just to clarify? No, more like uh, <laughs> the song, <laughs> then watch the oh, yeah. film. <laughs> you got time, get it on, and then if there's any time left over, go and watch it. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um, no. No, either or both, um, but no, it's a terrific yes. movie, ideally, um, both. Yeah. Ideally both. Ideally both. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, really. I mean, really good. And now I'm glad I've seen it because I read uh, Easy Riders and Raging Bulls, you know, when it came out, sort of twenty odd years ago, and yeah. uh, sort of always wondered because it mentions so many different films, and some of them I've seen, not all of them. And now mm. that's one of the key movies I've finally seen. So that's good. Yeah. And for me, I, I'm quite happy to come out and talk about it. And when we decided to do this theme, this was pretty much the first film that sprung to mind because I know it still does. Although I think over in the la in recent years, there's been a bit of a reappraisal, and I think it's had a bit more. There's a bit more positive. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, it's been uh, there's more people <clears throat> who've, who've come in its defense and said actually. This is quite a remarkable film, yeah. and it's worth uh, seeing. And I'm of that view. I mean, this is a film that I remember back uh, when it came out in my formative sort of teenage years when I was really getting into uh, my my love of movies and things. Yeah. This was one that really made an impression on me yeah. and has been a favorite of mine. Uh, just probably for that, partly for just for, for the nostalgia of, of the, mm. the impression that it made on me back then. Yeah. But also, I just think it's a, it's a really great film. It's worth, uh, worth uh, sitting down, as you say, when you've got time to relax and get into a nice, a nice long film and devote the time. Yeah. Uh, and the energy to it, it definitely pays off because it uh, it uh, builds up to a very, very powerful climax, and it's a really, really interesting film. It is. So yeah. check it people out. Uh, go out and check it out. Um, so I, as I mentioned, I guess I'll just quickly mention um, that it is available from Criterion on Blu-ray, Second Sight on Blu-ray in the United Kingdom. Uh, and I know there's other, uh, for, for our sort of European uh, people on the continent, I know that there's a French and Spanish Blu-ray editions as well. Okay. So uh, I think it's pretty widely available and easy to come by. And it's also available on all the streaming services for rental or purchase as well. Hmm. So get out there, folks, and seek it out and watch it. You won't be disappointed. It's great stuff. And uh, 
hopefully we did it some justice tonight in our conversation. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. We probably could have done just a whole episode just talking about that. Jonathan, was there anything else you wanted to say? Um, well, probably the last thing I say is the sort of on written outside Heaven's Gate, the um, sort of roller disco. There's a little quote, and it says, "Skating cures nervous disorders." So that's, that's a thought <laughs> we could all go home with. Okay, I think on that, I think because that's an important food for thought. And on that note, listeners, I think we're going to wrap it up tonight. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope you'll go out and check these films out because they're pretty cool. And uh, I also hope you'll come and find us on uh, YouTube where you can see our fabulous, funky film factoids. And there'll be other cool stuff coming your way. Um, we've got some really interesting guests lined up for, for the next uh, few shows. So um Make sure you follow us or subscribe to us so that you don't miss out when we uh, drop the next one. Definitely. So, uh, Jonathan, I think you're going on holiday, aren't you? I am. Uh, in the next couple of weeks. Oh, lovely. You're going to France. So mm. uh, I hope you and, uh, and Autumn and the kids have a lovely time out there. Thank you. And, uh, and uh, we will be back, listeners, very, very soon. So take care until then and watch lots of cool films. Definitely. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Oh, the things these nerdy middle-aged men get up to! Oh. <laughs>